Hello and welcome. I'm Joel Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On today's episode, Luke and I chat with Ben McKenzie. Ben is a performer, writer, and game designer. He's best known for the immersive live bank heist game, Small Time Criminals, and for writing, producing, and starring in the time travel audio comedy, Night Terrace. Ben previously co-hosted the Doctor Who podcast, Splendid Chaps, and currently co-hosts Pratt Chat with Elizabeth Flux. In the podcast's media section, we chat about Stranger Things, Victoria, and more. In the topic, we continue the thread we started in our last interview with John Harper by chatting with Ben about his work in the interactive fiction space. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell podcast. We are at the Brunswick Street Bookstore today, and I'm joined by my co-host, Luke Manley. Luke, how's it going? Good. I released a book. You did release a book, yes. Five days ago. As yeah, fantastic. Today. How's the um, post-release sadness, which often <laughs> hits? Um, the grief. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it's set in because I'm trying to scramble to get another one done. Yeah. There you go. Um, to release in about... Was it 20-something days? So. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> Meet those deadlines. So, uh, yeah, the post-release is uh, not hitting me as high. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, well, you're a stronger man than I. Um, let me let me tell you a story. But before I tell you a story, we have a guest to introduce. Ben McKenzie, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's a great pleasure to be here. And Fantastic. Con- congratulations, Luke, on releasing the book. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Ben, how's your week been? It's been good. I mm-hmm. released the first episode of a podcast, so I mean, hey, it's just release week today. Hey, it is release week. Fantastic. Yeah. And so, tell us about Pratchett. Now, uh, it's a it's a new monthly podcast where um, my co-host Elizabeth Flux and mm-hmm. I are sitting on a. I like to describe it as a five-ish year mission because we've done the maths uh, to try and read every Terry Pratchett book. Uh, Goodness. And, dis- and discuss them with guests once a month. Right. Yeah. So, so what happens after the five years? We stop. <laughs> That's it? Um, yeah, look, we haven't really talked about that. I, I think we'll be very pleased if we do get through them all. Got um, it, yeah. But it's going, going one episode in, it's going very well. Fantastic. Um, and I think we've already got plans to have our first guest back again because she was so great. We had Cal Wilson on. Nice. So I think, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a fun journey. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I caught the first part of the podcast and it was super fun. So look forward to listening more um if you so that, you'll have to go for the gaming books next yes oh yeah well that could be a spin-off yeah this, when, the the one-off spin-offs once we do good omens we'll be like and now the spin-off podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you what do would last, you call that yeah. uh for putting you on the spot here neil talk i neil don't talk no that's no good is it you have to come up with something better than that mm. the neil netter i'm gonna oh that's quite good all right that's going that's going in the ideas pile yeah the, the memory like bank. Copyright, Luke quick. Manley. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Very yeah, good. Yeah. Neil Nat. That's good. I like it. Well, story time. You know the worst feeling you get? It's like you've had a really stressful day. You know, busy meetings, whatever. You end up with a sore throat that you know will turn into the worst sickness you've had in 10 years. And you go to a 7-Eleven to buy a pack of um, 
fisherman's friend that I'm now rummaging in my pocket. This is another public transport story? Yeah, this is one of those. But it's not on public transport this time. So you had to get there with it. Yeah, I'd have to tie that in somehow, but (laughs) I haven't put much thought into it. Anyway, so I go to the 7-Eleven. I buy the fisherman's friend. Somehow they have it. And I'm like, goodness, I didn't even know 7-Elevens carry fisherman's friend, right? Um, It's the only one I like. And I take it outside, and I'm at the I'm at the um, pedestrian crossing, and then I proceed to try and open the the uh, the, the um, do fisherman's friend, and would you believe it? It was that one packet that was on the assembly line that they didn't put the um, tear bit off. Like that's completely sealed. There's just no tear. So you're describing my entire experience with fisherman's friends. Yes, like those packets Isn't it? are terrible. To Designed open. by Satan. Yeah, what you, they either don't open at all, or when they do open, they just suddenly burst yeah. open and they go everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The punchline. Uh, the punchline doesn't exist oh. because that's pretty much the end of the story. Yeah, I could well, tell he was at the end. I, yeah, I wouldn't steal another person's punchline. <laughs> okay. Yeah, never. Okay, Joel. <clears throat> Good story. <laughs> Listen, people come not for my stories. I just put them in there because they're already here. All right. So what do you want? But the thing is, the fisherman's friend. In the end, the payoff is that they were very good. If you like Fisherman's Friend, um, but the, it's just it was just a cap to a very busy day, and I just didn't want to be the guy on the street just, just trying to open the Fisherman's Friend, just doing this. Um, but anyway, very awkward. Somebody um, help me! Yeah, every I did get a few looks of people like, see, see, but no assistance. No, see, that's the problem. It's with Melbourne modern society. What was it, Melbourne? <laughs> Melbourne City, or was that? In Melbourne, people kind of do their own thing. Well, when I was know, in Canberra, yeah, some person would have helped because really? they've got nothing better to do. Well, okay, they're it in is Canberra. A very personal struggle, though. <laughs> you know, yes. Human versus fisherman's friend packet, like yes, yeah, quintessential to human existence. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the old man and the fisherman's friend. Have you <laughs> read that story? It's very important in literature. Wow, I like that, Ben. Well done. <laughs> Good tie-in. Let's move swiftly on to a uh, media section. I actually today. want to resurrect oh. one of our old sections. Oh, very no, not briefly, this again. Very briefly. He's digging the grave. The news section. Right. Because I have one piece of news for yeah. all of those enthusiastic writers right. and tweeters. Mm-hmm. Twitter now allows you to type twice as many characters. Oh, goodness. Yes, which I... means I can finally complete my sentences mm. with proper grammar. I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan. See, I'm all for it. And it's not going to change my tweet habits because exactly. I am one of those people who entirely interacts with Twitter through third-party apps. And well, they uh, do not now and may never get the opportunity to put in the double-length tweets. I don't know if they're going to update the API. I just don't know what's going to happen. See, mine goes the other way. I go through Twitter to get to the other ones. Uh, mm. well, it's see, nice and simple to just type in. Well, so. I, well you know, I, I, just, I, mean, I use a, a Twitter app yeah. to write yeah, on yeah. Twitter. And, and I love that app. And they will prize it from my cold, dead hands. So yeah. if they don't allow them to I'm use sure the uh, longer <laughs> tweets, I mean, I can read the longer <laughs> tweets. Thankfully, I'm not just getting half of everybody's longer tweets. Yeah. <clears throat> but it hasn't it hasn't been rolled out to everyone yet, has it? Yeah, it has. Uh, it, I think it just launched today. Yesterday. Oh right. Yesterday. Got it. Should have run, written a double length tweet <laughs> to announce the first episode <laughs> of Pratchett. <laughs> yeah. Missed, missed true, that. Yeah. Damn it, man. So with with that, um, with that coming out, it's big news. I'm sure all the apps will update for it. You'd hope so, because that's pretty big for everyone who's social media it's 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 one of those weird things because i'd always complain like i'm just i'm i'm too verbose to to keep to the you know the original limit 
but when you know being on Twitter and then I realizing this actually helps. It's good. It, oh, yeah. it sort of reduces what you need to say. I think it improved my gag writing by about a thousand percent because <laughs> you have to. It down. Yeah. I mean, this was advice that a friend of mine who was a much better comic than me. Mm. Um, she gave me this advice, which is that when you're writing a joke, you got to cut out everything that is not necessary. Yeah. Just mm. cut away everything that's not joke. Bare necessity. And that's how you make it super mm-hmm. funny. And and Twitter has taught me to do that. Yeah. And so, so that's fine. I don't mind that it's not unlimited. I hate Facebook posts, for instance. Mm. But I do like to have a sensible sentence. And yeah. I don't like having mm. to make it R's instead of A R E and you know, cutting yeah. words down to letters. Yeah. I really hate doing that. And I've had to do that a few times. I've experienced something similar. There was a there was a Twitter rival. Uh, it was mm-hmm. called it had a stupid name. It was called App.net and it was only ever used by software developers, so it had a very small audience. But um, it was basically Twitter, mm. uh, but with 256 characters as the limit. Interesting. Did Microsoft do that? No, it was an independent group. Okay. And you had to subscribe to it. Like it was very cheap. It was like twenty dollars a year. But that was the whole idea was that we're going to build this alternate platform yeah. so that there will never be any ads and we will never like change the order in which you see your tweets yeah, and yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And and that and it was a great idea, but it never took off because everyone was on Twitter. Yes. It's like every time they start up a rival to Facebook, like LO, mm. it doesn't work because everybody or a huge percentage of people have mm-hmm. to move to the new platform. Up. They've got yeah. their Farmville accounts on level 200. <laughs> still playing Farmville? I don't have a Facebook account anymore. Don't oh, right. Okay. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I think but, I don't know I don't know what it'll change but I think it'll be interesting to see who if people really I, it, I don't think it'll change much I don't think it'll it change much change a lot. It'll, just, it'll change yeah. my skimming habits as in I'll skim more it, it, on my feed is that the things I notice the most on my feed are short succinct sentences because it's quick to read mm. and I don't usually you know I'm not on Twitter for a very long time 250 is not very long I d- yeah, it's but for fine. some reason, it just looks long on Twitter, like right? It just seems like a block of text rather than two sentences, or like one long sentence. Mm. So, I don't know. I don't That's think it'll change I much. I have two of my books pinned on my tweet <laughs> instead of just one. <laughs> well, Easier it will, marketing. It will make my life a bit easier. I, I recently did a, um, a Choose Your Own Adventure mm. via Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, which was great fun. and um, That would help. Yeah, we're hoping to do another one as part of... A, a launch of a magazine yeah. on the on the weekend, and I I went through and laboriously edited all the bits of it down to so that they would so fit because I wasn't the original yeah. author, but I edited yeah to fit into 140 characters, and now I don't need to have done yeah. that. <laughs> I feel, yeah, no, feel like an idiot. Yeah. It'd be a bit better for that kind of thing. You yeah. didn't have to Hemingway yeah. it. It's good. No, I did. Very good. All right. Well, thanks anyway, for the so resurrection. The section. Yeah, thanks for the resurrection there, Luke. Um, Let's move on to the media section. We've got a little bit to talk about today, as I imagine we will probably ramble on a little bit. Um, but, Ben, I know that you've seen Stranger Things, the second season, or uh, partway through. Most it. of it. I think I've got about three episodes left Most of the way through. Um, Luke, you've seen the first season, but not the second. Mm-hmm. So we'll spoiler refrain. Um, oh, I'm not a... I'm a- I don't care about spoilers. Sure. So I, I think... Spoilers coming. <laughs> I think for my own sake, I won't spoil because I might have a habit of doing that and then ruin it for you. And look, the the streaming services have ruined how spoilers work now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I'm from... I'm old enough to be of the era when some shows we had to wait for VHS tapes to arrive oh, yeah. from the uh, UK so we could oh, watch yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yeah. the latest mm-hmm. season of Red Dwarf. Yep. So otherwise we were waiting three years for it to show up on the ABC. And, and the basic rule of thumb was that if the show hadn't aired in your country, then you did not talk you about it. You didn't talk about it. it, yeah. You just absolutely. didn't talk about it. And now, 
because it's not really binge watch it on the first day. Yeah. yeah, some people will binge watch it on the first day. Other people will binge watch it when they have time. And yeah. Some people will try and stretch. You just don't know when everyone, you can expect everyone to have yeah. seen it. So, and I'm, I'm very much a, not a spoiler foe, but I, I very much respect people's opportunity to be able to see or read something mm-hmm. for the first time not knowing what's going to happen. Because yeah. I find, mm-hmm. I enjoy that so much. Um, and it's not like I don't enjoy things when I have been spoiled. Like I was spoiled for the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones mm-hmm. uh, back when I was still watching I read the it. book, so I got spoiled. Um, yeah, well, exactly, right. <laughs> uh, but but I still enjoyed it. Um, yeah. But I would prefer have preferred not to know that was going to happen because yeah. that's part of the joy of watching these things. So, yeah, so it's tricky. So, yeah, I, I would like to avoid spoilers. It's 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 one of those interesting things where you never know what people's level of this is what I'm okay to be spoiled by. So, yeah, we'll we'll try and we'll try and avoid it, but I I'm I'm more interested in talking about what do you think about the second season? Mm. Are you happy that the second season is a thing? Do you like the direction that it's going before I, it? So far I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um like I said, I'm near I'm getting near the end. Mm-hmm. And um, it feels uh, when I realized how close to the end I was after I'd watched, I think the sixth or seventh episode, I was like, Oh, it's, it's this hasn't gone very far. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what's going on. Um, but I also would have been totally happy if they didn't do another season. Mm-hmm. Like I felt the first season sort of was nice. It sort of captured itself yep. well. And like a lot of people, I thought it might turn out to be a kind of anthology show where each season Absolutely. would be a different story, yep. but in that same kind of Stephen King, I really Steven wanted, Spielberg yeah. pastiche way. Yeah, yeah. Because could, you could so many things to explore in yes. that that genre yeah, and that area. Yeah. But I really like the cast. I love the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed the first one. I thought it had some really lovely stuff, particularly about friendships and relationships between younger people. Yes. Um, I really enjoyed Steve's redemption. Oh, he's so good. Right, because he, he's such an archetypal, like mm-hmm. kind of toxic masculine yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he sort of realizes that what he's doing is not okay. Mm. And tries to make up for it. Just kind of a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. Like when he, you know, when he, they, they write the sign that's calling um, Nancy a a slut or whatever on the wall. And he's like, that's not cool. And he wipes it off. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that was good. And I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the friendship between Mm -hmm. the kids. I'm glad that there's a new character who's a girl. Yeah. But I'm disappointed that there's only one because there's still, it's still about four dudes Mm. and some of their friends who are mostly dudes. Uh, so you've really only got now three mm. major female characters in the show, and yeah. I think I think you could stand to have a few more. I say that there's there's one who appears in that in a, in the first scene in the first episode, and then we haven't seen anything else of her yet. But I think the episode I'm about to watch might feature that character. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, yes. I I was on the fence because I watched uh, Stranger Things after Ian, uh, our absentee co-host, um, b- recommended it to me multiple times and then accidentally spoiled me, which I will not, you know, forgive him. Even though I don't really care, but is I there, don't don't tell him that. Is there a big spoiler in the first season though? Well, he told. Well, he kind of told me what the monster was and that there was a monster. Oh, I, just okay. did, I just didn't know anything about the show. Yeah, right? okay. and I avoided the trailers, but. Um, I forgave him, but don't don't tell him that. Um, it was interesting because I really liked the. There's a bunch of touchstones to like my childhood as well, and I was like, "That's great." Mm. So the nostalgia value was enough to get me into the first season, and the plot was great, and I stayed for that reason. And the characters were all great. I really enjoyed that. Um, and I was uh, a bit um ah when they announced the second season, but I was like, ah, eh, you know, I. It, it was successful, hence they will do another season. It's inevitable these days. What is, what is the catch or the hook 
of Stranger Things mm. for someone who doesn't know what Stephen King writes? Well, I I don't like Stephen King, so it's well, I guess you know it is a fantasy adventure, yeah, about kids. It it with also has mm-hmm. yeah, and it yeah. it's it kind of relies, I think, a little bit on you enjoying the the sort of kitsch elements of '90s TV shows as well. Like yeah. the, there's a little bit of that that definitely they use. It's tapping into the vast wellspring of '80s nostalgia. Yeah, I was talking about this today. Luckily, uh, not all the music though. Yeah, well, well, actually, the music thing, like, it's getting a bit on the nose it in is. the second season. It is. I was, well, I was talking about this with a friend, and we was, I was saying that every time they play a song in Stranger Things season two, it reminds me of BoJack Horseman. Anytime they do a flashback, mm. and they have these custom written songs, which are things like "This is a '90s song," it sounds like the <laughs> yeah. '90s, and yeah. you're like, "This is, this is, we're getting the equivalent <laughs> yeah. of that, but with we're real music." Moment, so here's yeah. the catch for it. Yeah, here's yeah. the hook for the season yeah. two, anyways. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's still, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not super '80s nostalgic, and usually no. things like that don't Appeal. lure me in that much. Um, like I, I didn't. I saw Super Eight, but I wasn't super into it. You know, I thought it was okay. Uh, and and a lot of that, you know, a lot of the reboots of like '80s cartoons and stuff leave me a bit cold. They're not great. Yeah, but I think, and I think this is the thing we were talking about today when we were talking about '80s reboots was that. Those work because in the eighties there were less things that everybody mm. knew what they were. So yeah. So when you reboot something like Transformers or Gem and the Holograms, everybody who was a kid in the eighties saw those things. Whereas yeah. now, you know, when you get to things in the nineties, there's so many more things. And once you get to the two thousands, if it's going to be hard to reboot those mm. things and make everybody mm. care about them because not everybody watched not them everybody, in the first place. Yeah, not everybody cares except yeah. if it was Firefly. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> if you remade that, yeah, the internet oh. would break. <laughs> When's that video game coming out? <laughs> <laughs> Never, Ben. Just, um, just come out I'm already. I'm my ignorance here, but uh, um, Battlestar Galactica, what was the originals on that 70s. one? 70s. 70s. And it was great. The reboot was okay. I think it messed up some things, but... I really enjoyed it. So yeah. It I thought it fell apart series. at the end. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so did the first ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first one, they ended up fighting Satan as played by Patrick <laughs> McNee. So, you know. What? Really? Yeah, really. There they you had, go. They had this character who's like all dressed in black and he was basically the devil. I mean, the whole, I mean, the the whole thing that they did in the reboot. different gods and things. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, w- and what they did in the reboot, which was, um, you know, it, it becomes this weird religious allegory. That's 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 kind of what the original did. Um, yeah. Only rather less subtly uh, and less mysteriously. They were just like, "Who's this evil guy? Oh, that's Satan. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and that you say there's thirteen tribes and you're looking for the lost one. Is this? Hey, yes. What's that about? Oh. Yeah. So. Well, they did have a good cast for the first one. As well. Oh yeah. They had a great cast. Yeah, it was great. But. Yes, Stranger Things. Yeah. What do, are you interested in the season two, Luke? To tie it in? Nope. No? You have no interest in watching season two? I lost my interest and interest after halfway through the first one. Mm. I watched the first season. Yeah, yeah. I was like, eh, okay. Yeah, it didn't do it for you. Yeah, no, that's not fair. For me. It, it, yeah, it's a it's an interesting show, and I didn't think a show like that would be very, very popular, but, you know, it proved me wrong. Um, mm. And I, I like season two. Did it explode um, or... It, the second season is... There was some Nielsen poll recently when they, you know... Could, it was the biggest, you know, Netflix show. And, oh, wow. Uh, oh, I didn't know. Yeah. How do they know? Goodness. They did a poll. Because so, Netflix do not release. never yeah, release they any don't. viewing figures. There's some... Not even to the people who have their shows on Netflix. Yeah. 
Nobody knows except Netflix who's watching. Yeah, you should Netflix. look this up. There, there was this article, um, and Nielsen did this this poll, okay. and then Netflix came out and be like, "Yo, don't believe them." To be fair, because they don't a lot know of really great shows on Netflix. Yeah, so there's only like one or two good shows that are still yeah. going on there. So that that makes sense. But yeah, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, it was, it was a very large number that they. Yeah. Quoted. Okay. Um. So uh, you know, it is very popular. And I do, again, there's a lot of things I want to say, but I won't both for, for Ben's and for the audience's yeah. um, spoiler. Uh, but yeah, there, there's some moments in the show when you felt them relying on the stereotype arc a little too hard because... I think uh, I've already seen some of that. Yeah, yeah and, and you can you can feel it in the first one, but they feel interesting and different enough where you're like, okay, I'll, I'll forgive all that. But in the second one, you know when the, when the pace flags a little, they're mm. just like... Boom! Here's a here's a thing that that will you know, yeah. and and for the most part I, I forgive it, but the fact that they announced another five seasons sort of makes me a bit hesitant. So another five seasons? Yeah, of Stranger Things. Yes, I know. Whoa! I really I really wanted the anthology thing. That. Yeah. Well, maybe they will. Maybe they'll. I don't know. Give up after that. I guess I'll find out how much it. How, well, like Sarah how it Chronicles. Ends. They'll get through the second and they'll be like, eh, stop. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> and be. enough. Yeah. Story plot's I, not finished, but we don't have any money now. They gave a reveal at the end of this second season where it makes me think that they're not going to do the anthology thing. Yeah, okay, probably not. Well, if they hadn't already done it, I don't think they will. Yeah. But I will say one thing that they've continued in the second season that I've really enjoyed is how they have kind of subverted some of the stuff that happens with kids and adults in those sort of stories. Yes. Like pretty much all the adults, and more so even in the second season than the first one, um, are not horrible to the kids and not stupid, like no, downright idiots. idiots. Yeah, <laughs> they get along and they're helpful and they're friendly. Yep. Like I love um, Sean Astin's character in the new show. Yes, he's just a but good. I'm, he's just a good guy. I am a sucker for for parents and children's in, in yeah. stories. You know, that's one of my it's one of my things that gets me right in the feels. You know? Yeah. So I I'm really loving his character and that sort of development, and I and I love what they did, did with. With Hopper, Hopper and yeah. oh, no, no, Ryder's character, like you just, you just like you are doing everything you mm-hmm. can, and we are all here with yeah, you, yeah, and yeah. we are behind you. I really enjoyed it, but yep. uh, I, yeah, the second season I'm not enjoying as much, and I'll be interested to see how it ends to see if it, if, if it's got a payoff. There's been a couple of good, real good payoffs, um, so far where I'm up to, but I'll be interested to see how it ends. Yeah, it, it's curious because it's one of those shows. Yeah, you touch on a really good point. It's fantastic when it comes to character interactions. It's mm-hmm. it dialogue is you know crisp and great, and yeah, that that's the bot, b- best part of the series right now. Yeah. And I think almost that it does a better job in the second season with that relationship than it does in the first. But the plot is definitely more generic, and it doesn't feel as tight as the as the first. Whereas the tight was suspenseful, and you know got you in. But enough about Stranger Things. Uh, what else have you been watching? My absolute favorite thing that I'm watching at the moment is The Good Place, mm-hmm. which it's is a comedy series. Uh, it's I, I forgot oh, what's his name. Sure, I've forgotten his first name. Uh, but the, it's the same guy who created Parks and Recreation right. and uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's a fantasy comedy series. The the basic premise is this woman has died uh-huh. and she finds herself in the afterlife and the afterlife that she's in is called The Good Place yeah. and it's explained to her that there are all these neighborhoods mm-hmm. for the very small percentage of people who did enough good on life that, in, in life that they get to go into The Good Place mm-hmm. and that she is in one of them and it's been designed to be perfect just for her and she's going to meet her soulmate who's going to live with her and it's going to be great um, and she is well aware that she there's been a mistake. She's not supposed to be here. Yeah. Uh, someone with the same name died at the same time at the same place as her 
and there's been a mix up. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not supposed to be here. They think I'm someone else. And she confides in her soulmate who mm-hmm. turns out to be a person who was uh, a lecturer in ethics in life. <laughs> and he decides that the, the right thing for him to do is to try and teach her to be mm-hmm. a better person be so that maybe person. she can earn her place yeah, and yeah. stay. And it just spirals on from there. And, and like his other shows, mm-hmm. one of the things I love most about it is it's not a sitcom where there's a reset button at the end of every episode and the situation never changes, which is, of course, why it's called a sitcom in the first point. But, um, yeah, this is not like that. It has an ongoing narrative. It goes places. The second season, um, and I'm going to... There's no spoilers because it's one of the best reveals ever that Mm. happens during the show. Uh, But, yeah, it's just it just goes to some really unexpected places. And uh, and I love it. I love all the characters. I love all the actors. Mm. I kind of knew I was going to when I read about the show because it stars um, yeah. Kristen Bell who from Veronica Mars, nice. who's yeah. one of my favorite actors. Uh, Ted Danson is in it. He plays Michael, who's the architect of the neighborhood that they're living yeah. in. And just, yeah, it's it just the whole cast is great. Yeah. Yeah, I love Fantastic. it. Fantastic. and wreck. Goodness. I can't get enough <laughs> of the good place. Yeah, yeah. so ch- I'd recommend it. All right. Well, I'll check that out. Luke, what have you been watching? What's on your radar? I have to try and speed through because I think we took a while on mm-hmm. the Stranger Things. I watched... Uh, I'll put a bit of context in this. So the, what date was it? I think it was the 7th. 7th? Or the 6th? It was the 6th. I'm getting a nod. <laughs> uh, 6th or 7th was the um, anniversary of the Russian Revolution. Oh. There's a lot of um, things going on mm. um, in Moscow for for that. Um, so I watched Heart of a Dog by Mikhail Bulgakov, which was one of the first satires of the Russian Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was... The film of it was done in... I think it was the 80s. But it was done in like a, an older style. So <clears throat> so like the... Like a 50s style or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, no, it's it very good representation of the book. So um, uh, as to where you can get access to it, you can get access to it through the Soviet Movies Online website. Mm-hmm. You can find it there. You can watch it if you you can buy a day pass or whatever. But yeah, but no, it's a good, it's a great, um, great film to to watch. There you go. And it it goes. It has a very. It, it's a short. It's a fairly short story that the, um, original. That it was based off of, and. Probably the most. Fascinating thing is how well the metaphor works. So. Um, Again, I'll try and I'm not going to throw spoilers. You, mm-hmm. If you've read the book, that's great. But um, essentially, the whole plot focuses on how how the revolution worked for for everybody involved, mm. and and it did it very, very kind of sneakily, but also very um, it kind of. I've got the words here somewhere. I've got mm. words. Um, no, it did it. It did it in a way that was trying to be crafty as well as blunt, mm. and hmm. I think it did it really well. The subtle and the sledgehammer. The, the subtle sledgehammer. That's that's a good one. That yeah. sounds like a wrestler name. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good though. That'd yeah. be good. The subtle sledgehammer. I'm, I'm into it. He just goes shh every time. Yeah. 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 He's like great. And then suddenly, <laughs> bam. <laughs> very very good. There that sounds go. great. Yeah. Yeah. I also I want to bring up um this is not exactly a film but mm-hmm. um it's media as far as I'm concerned. 
Um, so recently, Assassin's Creed Origins released ah, for yes. PC, yes. We're and I too. think I've brought up the Witcher game mm. in the past, and it's I don't know if you're all familiar with. With I'm the familiar Witcher, with it. Witcher I, I still haven't 3. played it yet. Mm. It's, it's, on, it's on my pile. It's, it's waiting pile, until I finish yeah. a couple of things. But um, I was incredibly surprised because Assassin's Creed has generally been going down with every title. It's downhill story-wise and world-wise. But um, this one was set in ancient Egypt. Uh, not ancient Egypt. Uh, mid, middle or late Egypt. I am, The titles elude me. But uh, Roman times, so... Oh, yeah. uh, during the rule of Cleopatra mm-hmm. at that time. Um, but what it did was extraordinarily copied from The Witcher 3. Mm. <laughs> oh, right. In that um, it, the, way of st- the way it told stories, the way it presented the world, all of that was very, very similar, if not identical. Mm-hmm. Um, and that impressed me. Um, it wasn't... so. So you stumble across all these little things that are happening mm. in the world. And in fact, maybe it did it a little bit better than The Witcher. Like mm. They took it. It's it's like they took The Witcher as a template and said, "Okay, steal and steal let's well. Let's use yeah. let's use what they did for fiction and use it in historical fiction." Yeah. And so they have all these little elements of um, like all the the, the the worship of ancient ancient Egyptian gods and their um, um, their mascots. Mm-hmm. For those gods, so like the Apis bull, for instance, in a yeah. temple, you get to see all the stuff. You mm-hmm. can walk around it. You you get involved with little mini quest stories about it. And I th- I was very impressed because yeah. Assassin's yeah. Creed is not known for narrative story for all the little stories. Yeah. It's it's kind of only known for just you know step to step to step to step killing people. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this is like you know go and find this it's and 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 understand this part of the world and history and um. And you can explore, um, I think it's on scale, um, tombs and pyramids and things as well. Mm, yeah. So they've taken the architectural um, observations of those and yeah. constructed them. It, it's curious because a lot of the media around this is is quite strange uh, because I didn't expect it to go down that route. They took two years off from the previous one, uh, which seems to have paid off. It seems to, yeah. Uh, and... You know, I would never have thought they would go down the thoughtful route, but apparently they did. And um, it's curious, they they announced something interesting where they were doing an educational mode, where they would do it for university courses and oh, stuff like that. I heard about this, where you can just wander around and explore yes. all of the and because of, you yeah. see a lot of that culture in play, that, that seems really good. So yeah, hats off, they, they surprised everyone, I, I think. I haven't seen that element to it yet. I've yeah. tried looking just to... Yeah, just for a peek. I think that's coming in in oh, Fed. I think it's a separate. Yeah, game. it's a separate yeah. thing altogether. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll be part of the same, but yeah, my by bundle. Oh, you'd be future, able to because yeah. it's still the same. Content, yeah, the same so, content yeah. engine. They just yeah. sort of enable um, it as a game mode. Yeah, that'd be cool. I yeah. would play that. I'm, I would. I would do that part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a massive Assassin's Creed yeah. fan. Um, I played. I played the first one, got a bit bored of it, and then I played the second one, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And then the only other ones I've played are um, uh, Black Flag, mm-hmm. the fourth one, and I've got Syndicate because because uh, I know some people who worked on it. Uh, but the um, but I'm fascinated by the music of it and the setting because I'm yeah. just I'm a sucker for oh, anything Victorian London. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm keen to see. <laughs> Welcome and, to the club. And and you know it was a big deal at the time mm. that they went from a title and a, and a series of games that have traditionally been that sort of stereotypical one male protagonist who yeah. can kill all the brother bad and guys this time, yeah. and then they made it a brother and sister so you got to play as both of them and I'm yeah. like 
Oh, which I'll, is really cool. I'll, I'll reward that. I want to check that out and see yeah. if it's good. So I'm looking forward to playing those. But this sounds like, yeah, I would definitely play the yep. educational mode. Yeah. Just wander around looking at pyramids. I, I Also, apparently, there's a whole bunch of Easter eggs in it which is weird popular cultural references that are hidden away so yes, that you won't find them unless that. you go looking yeah. for them. Yeah, so that would be fun. <laughs> I love exploring. Like I was, I loved Skyrim. I played so many hours mm. of Skyrim and that had that similar kind of just... Well, that was... It generated little if stories. If the element you liked from Skyrim, then you'd love The Witcher as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to The Witcher, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's it's one of the... Uh, I said earlier narrative storytelling, something that made no sense when I said it and then I realized what I was trying to say was level uh, storytelling through level design, which is something that you know they hadn't done a lot of in the, in the series. But um, yeah, it looks like they have in this one. Well... I'll keep my section really short. Um, the media section has taken a bit, but uh, I watched Victoria, um, and it's a show that I never thought I'd watch. I love period dramas, um, but I shied away from Victoria because I was like, ah, I didn't really like The Crown, and you know, it's not really my thing. And then I watched Victoria, and I got hooked, and it was absolutely fantastic. The performances were great. Um, the performances were fantastic, and uh, I, th- I think one of those things is sympathetic characters. Characters you just don't expect to be sympathetic yeah. end up to be just like just good people. And just seeing good people is just really refreshing. I think we went through a really interesting stretch of media where everyone had to be gray just because. Um, and that that was good in in one sense of the word, but uh, it's it just nice. Had to be, you know. Yeah. One day they'll moral complexity, the, the breaking they bl- bad. Grow a flower gently, and then they'll toss a baby out the yeah. window. Yeah. They keep going; it flows through. Yeah, exactly. No. It's like uh, I'll everyone care, had to do it. I'll care for my dying son, but I kill people in the daytime. It's like, you know, and yeah. that's all fine. But seeing something that's just so nice is also a good change. Mm. Um, do you so. think that's co- you think that's why there's all these shows now that they're making about real people because i i find yeah. that maybe yep. a little bit is that okay when it's we're talking about real people yeah because maybe they were really good but i don't know this is a fictional version of them mm. you're probably not going to tell me all about all the horrible things victoria yeah did. and and the thing is that that's absolutely fine in my books right yeah, yeah. it's like i like to see a fictionalized version of a real person because mm. sure that's not real life but it's a version of their life yeah sure and if if you can go into that with the self-awareness of being like Sure, it's not fully historically accurate, but guess what? I'm watching it on Netflix. It's not like I'm expecting <laughs> yeah. it to be, you know. Um, and that's it's interesting. But yeah, Victoria is fantastic. If you ha- just just watch the first two episodes, and you'll definitely understand if it's a show for you or not. Okay, great. Um, I think the standout in that show was definitely Rufus Sewell, who's like possibly one of my favorite criminally um, underrated. Absolutely, actor. Dark City. What an amazing oh, movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he should get picked a lot more. But he's in this, and he's charming, and every everybody's like, he's so he's so handsome. I'm like, I've been saying this for years, <laughs> yeah, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was one of those funny things he did an interview, and he was like, you know, it's kind of nice to be objectified once in my life. And it, I was like, there you go. You know, you haven't had it, but um, no. Watch Watch Victoria. If not for everything else, then for Rufus Sewell. All right. Okay. Who's and playing it, Victoria? Um, you know, I've remembered the name twice and I've said the name wrong twice, so I'm not going to try it again. Okay. Right? But she's uh, great. She's absolutely fantastic. Okay. All right. Um, it's a it, good actress anyway. There yeah. You. I, yeah. It, it was one of those interesting <laughs> things where the best characters in the film are Victoria, um, Lord Melbourne, which is played by Rufus Sewell, and, um, another horrifically villainous individual, 
um, who just has a bad face. Like, you just know he's a bad guy. Right. Uh, and I also have forgotten that name of that oh, actor. Maybe he's a good guy. Maybe. But, yeah, they, 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 they do a really good job with um, characterizing him. And maybe stereotyping a little bit much. But, um, you know what? That's fine. It, it's, a, it's a fun show. So, um, yeah, let's, let's move on to the topic, shall we? Yes. And, you know, you mentioned Assassin's Creed. And we've had um, game devs on uh, previously to chat about interactive fiction. And um, you've definitely done some work in that too, Ben. Yes. Um, but in this one, I'm more interested in seeing, you know, going back to a little bit more pen and papery roots. Going back to, you know, the origins of... of um, where a lot of interactive fiction has come from and then where you think that the evolutions happened somewhere in the middle. So um, we're having a special uh, interview episode with John Harper, who is a um, pen and paper game designer, and that episode will be coming out, well, a week before this one. So when you're listening to it, it will already be out. Um, and in that episode, uh, it, it's definitely focused around the origins of um, pen and paper and his work in it as well. Mm. Um and I think, Ben, the, my first question to you would be, you know, your place in this right now. Like, where do you see yourself and what have you been working on that you think, you know, are contributing to this conversation? Well, I started out as a game designer working in live games. Sure. So games where you would play in person with other people, maybe interact with actors or props, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of big, an emerging art form. I mean, it's got its roots back in the sort of new games movement of the 1970s, but it's had a bit of a renaissance in the last five to 10 years. And, and I formed a company in Melbourne called Pop-Up Playground with mm -hmm. um, some other folks. And we've made a whole bunch of live games together. And so that was my... The, and I've always been fascinated by games. I've played a lot of tabletop mm. role-playing games and board games and video games. Is, um, but that was where I got my start as a designer. Is there anything like the sword craft stuff, the LARPing, live-action role-play It's a stuff, bit distinct or? from that. Okay. So mm. where we came from, we, we came from more of a sort of interactive theatre or, oh, or an sure. immersive yeah. theatre background. But what we were doing was was very much more like games related. Mm. It was all about games and play. Um, whereas Swordcraft, which is, is great, like I've met quite a few of the people involved in Swordcraft, is, uh, it sort of comes from the role-playing tradition and then also from the sort of a recreationist or, um, yeah. that's not the right word, is it? Um, uh, Reenactment. Reenactment, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of a clash of those two things mm. where, you know, they want to try and, uh, revive or, or revisit some of those traditions of medieval combat, not because they want to, you know, horribly hack people to death, but because we all enjoy the romantic aspects of that. Mm, I mean, that's yeah. why the myth of Arthur endures, mm. is not because it's anything like what the historical reality would have been, but because that romantic ideal of the knight in shining armor, we all love that idea. Mm. It's, it's such yeah. an appealing thing. And so we want to pretend that we are that. And, it, you know, which is a big part of the appeal of Dungeons and Dragons as well. Mm. It's not an accident that it's a magical medieval society that is the setting for a lot of those yeah. games. So anyway, we started, started doing live game design um, and then started to get into other kinds of game design and realized, because I, I think they're all very similar to each other. Yeah. Mm. Because they're all about you know, what you afford. It, it's, they're all about building a system, really. Uh, this is something Paul Callahan, who is a big influence on me, he, he was there when we started Pop-Up Playground. He used to be director of the Free Play Independent mm -hmm. Games Festival, now uh, lectures over in the UK in game design. But he, he used to describe games as being systems, and particularly video games, because our whole world runs on systems now. Mm -hmm. And so a video game is, is like a system to model other systems or, or be like those systems, but where you can play without the consequences of real-world sure. systems. Yeah. 
But I think all games really are a system uh, and they, they all involve rules and, and restrictions, but also affordances. Like they mm. give you things you can do, things you're not allowed to do, um, and you can play within those restrictions. Mm. But the difference, that really, the, and, and the design, whether you're working in a tabletop board game or a role-playing game or a video game, a lot of the basic game design stuff that you do is the same. You think about, uh, and I my design work is always very player driven it's like it's it's all about the player's experience sure. what kind of experience do i want the player to have mm. what kind of feeling do i want to evoke when they're when they're playing this game what do i want them to be reminded of or yeah. how do i want them to feel uh and i think you can do that with any kind of mm. game that you make yeah yeah it's 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 curious as well because um you know we mentioned certain things earlier and you can see that that show banks on a lot of nostalgia from the past and one of those is D D, which they've mm. brought up uh a little, you know ad nauseum almost um but you know that that is an interesting touchstone um because i think uh, for a lot of people outside of that uh, you know the early you know satanic panic and all that stuff mm. um during those early years it, it has stayed very niche right but it has influenced so much right so talk about those influences maybe on on yourself as well well they're they're huge i mean 90 percent of modern video games are yeah. influenced in one way or another by dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. so like the whole mm. idea of having characters that accrue experience and gain new abilities or improve their basic statistics mm-hmm. all those things uh, to to like random chances to succeed or not that are based on those statistics all those things come from dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. and that tradition of role playing and it's it is an influence on me i I've been more influenced probably in the last five years or so by modern role-playing games. So there's a there's an independent role-playing game design scene that's, that's quite big. There's a lot of designers doing really interesting stuff. Um, and they use all kinds of terms to differentiate themselves from the traditional, we're going to roll a dice and yeah. have an adventure and kill some things kind of genre. Uh, which covers a lot of role playing, but then you know they and and some of it is just it's a branding exercise. But they you know they call themselves story games or um, narrative narrative focused games, yeah. <laughs> um, stuff like so. Fiasco is the one that a yep. lot of people have heard of, mm-hmm. and Fiasco is a game where there's no dungeon master equivalent. Everybody creates a character together, mm-hmm. and you don't have a character that has statistics um, and a particular character archetype. Uh, yeah. what you do is you create the character by creating relationships with the other players. Mm. So the thing you might pick is, mm. um, okay, so you a and bond, I in yeah. the game are going to have the relationship that we are co-workers and then we will specify that a little bit more. We're co-workers in the local veterinary clinic. Mm. And then it's not defined by the game what that relationship is. We just decide and we'll go, okay, well, I'll be the vet and you're the um, administrator and um, we're at odds with each other. We don't like each other. And that forms a basis for drama. And then that game is is literally all about framing scenes and deciding what the outcome of those scenes is and characterizing those outcomes as good or mm. bad. And the dice in that game, mm. and it uses buckets of six-sided yeah. dice, are really there to constrain your choices to make sure that you don't pick the most interesting, just the thing you want. Yeah. Like you don't just go, I want that and I want that. You have to pick things with some constraints that are randomized so mm. you can play the same game more than once and come up with different outcomes. Yeah, it's a complication. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they're also there to sort of, so you can direct the payoff because you, you accumulate the dice as the game goes on and you have um, good and bad dice. And at the end, you roll them and you subtract the one from the other and you see which one has mm. the, you know, what value you end up with. 
um, and then you read on a table not what the specific outcome is, but what kind of outcome your character has. Does nothing really interesting happen to them? They kind of just vanish into obscurity or do, do they have fantastic good yeah. fortune or does everything go horrendously wrong for them? And as the name of the game might suggest, that's kind of the yeah. bent of it. Um, <laughs> it's funny because Fiasco always reminds me of something that's, you know, an absurdist uh, heist movie. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, it's very much modeled after <laughs> Coen Brothers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Films. You know, that, yeah. that's, those are the main examples that mm-hmm. they always cite. And there's, there's lots of games that do that kind of thing. And I've become really interested and, and kind of influenced in my own ideas about game design and what I want to make yeah. by the idea that you can make a very small game that provokes a very specific experience, mm. but it's still unique for every time it's played by, by the players. Yeah. So Fiasco does that. Um, a game that I worked on um, a little bit which is a similar kind of story game, uses a lot of six-sided dice, is about collaboratively telling a story, Mm -hmm. but in a very specific genre, is called Our Last Best Hope. And it tells that kind of story about a group of scientists or or soldiers or whoever, uh, where there's some sort of science fiction apocalypse coming Mm. and there's just one small team who are the only people who are placed you know, in the right place at the right time or with the right expertise or the right equipment to do something about it and maybe avert disaster. And it's kind of about their journey as they either succeed or fail to do that and either way probably like go mad or kill each other yeah. or you know have horrible tragedies happen to them and it again it's it's a it's a small game it's a short book it's like a little paperback and it doesn't try to be a massive thing that you would play for, yeah. for every week for years and years and years like dungeons and dragons mm. or a traditional campaign based game yeah it tries to just say here's give you a specific experience yeah a kind of story that you can tell and if you're sure. interested in that kind of story Here's a little kit for yeah. making that story and, and running it with your friends. How well does that um, that style of storytelling convey the feelings that you're looking for? Because just because um, you know when you watch a, a film, for instance, you suddenly lose all the ideas of how characters look from a book you read. But if you're, for instance, actually playing out a character, yeah, then you've already dropped to you know a lot of people don't have a huge high self esteem. So it's not like they're imagining some... They're not playing D&D where they're imagining some like awesome-looking guy yeah. who's huge, bright armor, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. It's like the immersion is broken by the fact that they're in um, particular... So how, how easily do you think it conveys the uh, feeling of the stories? Well, I don't think immersion is necessary to okay. convey that sort of feeling. Um, and I say that having designed... The last really big game, live game that I designed was all about immersion. Yeah, um, okay. it was a bank heist game in which was in a real ex-bank building, so yeah. you were literally immersed in the game. Like you yeah. couldn't escape it. Well, you could escape it, of course, but you, you, it was all around you and it was real. So no, you broke laws, illegal. Ben. Yeah. But <laughs> but when you play one of these story games, that you yeah. know you don't you it is it's about that theory mm. of the mind and, and imagining it. Um, and mm. I, it, uh, there's a great description of what role-playing games were in a game that is not at all like the ones we're currently talking about. Yeah. Uh, it's called Spaceship Zero and it's this weird pastiche of like 1950s sci-fi. But they described it as sort of like an improvised radio play. And I mm. think that's a really useful analogy because you are telling the story with your voices and your words, but you're imagining what it looks like. And particularly with something very specific and evocative like Our Last Best Hope, what you're doing is you, you already know the kind of tropes that you're looking for. If you're mm. going to play this game, you're probably familiar with films like sure. Sunshine yeah. or The Core or Armageddon, you know, which is the kind of thing that yeah. it's trying to evoke. And so you've got those ideas in your head mm. and you can, and, and often you do, you think about it as a cinematic experience. Mm. 
So just like Fiasco is a Coen Brothers movie, this is one of those kind of crazy Hollywood blockbusters where you know things are going to explode unless the scientists can come up with an answer at the last minute. And you, you, go, you cast a Hollywood actor as your character. And the rules in the game, uh, really, like they, they're all there for a reason. And the reason is to push your imagination and your thinking about the story and the characters in a particular direction. So in our last Best Hope, you have uh, everybody has to name one character who drives you nuts and one character who keeps you sane. And everybody's got a horrible secret and they've got something that they left behind mm-hmm. when yeah, they went yeah, on this yeah. mission. And, and all those things can come up during the game to, to, you know, yeah, to mechanically benefit you according to the rules and help you succeed in dealing with the threats that get in your way yeah. in, in trying to enact your plan. But they also fill you you're, out. You're yeah. thinking about the character in a way that facilitates the kind of story and experience and emotional experience that you want you know luke this is a question that i'm interested in hearing is that you know what do you look for in an interactive story you know be it uh like a role-playing game or an actual video game like they're they're interactive and you know you mentioned a couple you know video game examples like assassin's creed and you know witcher which is one of those interesting things where it it took the idea of you're a set character but you're in a world which is you know defined and all that but it it gives you the the illusion of choice, and there are real choices, but you know obviously there are barriers to everything. It's one of the interesting differences between something like I don't know a D and D game where it's just you know infinite in in that sense, where it's just limited by your dungeon ma- master's uh, imagination, I suppose. Um, but yeah, like what is that pull? What do you think that thing that people always look for in those games, and why they still people. remain? Oh, now you're talking about other people. Yeah. Lost. Well, I mean, talk about your own personal experience. I suppose. <laughs> From my own personal experience. Mm. What do you look for? What I looked for in, say, The Witcher, I guess. For me, I like world building. Mm. And I don't know how many people share that, but I like it when I see new things in a world and I see, I uh, have new experience. Like, experience doesn't have to be um, told in words, it doesn't have to be a story. It's like something new to see, something that has a story of its own that's shown. Mm-hmm. So it's usually the vi- visual elements, a bit of that like show don't tell sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, You're an explorer. An explorer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's lots of different taxonomies of player types. There yeah. Is, yes. Um, Bartles is the famous one. Yes. But in a lot of them, yep. yeah, in a lot of them, there's an explorer type, which is I'm that's big part of me what as well. Yeah. Explorer, achiever, uh, ad- fighter, yeah. um, adventurer. That's probably explorer. I don't remember all of them. Mm, but, yeah. but yeah, no, I definitely fit in the exploration mm. um, area. Um, there's a very good example, uh, actually, of um, live action that uh, w- when I was traveling in Russia, yeah. um, they have what they call quest rooms. Now, I think they have some in Australia as well. Yeah, I'm we call sure them escape rooms. Escape yeah. rooms. Yeah. Sorry, they are yeah. called escape rooms. I completely um, missed that one. Well, they go by many so, names. They're also called puzzle rooms puzzle and a few rooms, other things. Escape room, yeah, escape yeah. room is the traditional one, I think, yeah. But, um, yeah, so we went went to one of those, or two of those, actually, while I was there. And it's fantastic. They don't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. Everything you have to tell from the from everything in the room. So, you, you know, you walk into this room, you're locked in, and you've got to figure out how to exit, how to how to finish the puzzle to get out. And pretty much nothing. You've, you've done this, so I don't need to explain it to you. To, mm. But um, um, what was it about? The room that you enjoyed the visual cues i think mm. 
So uh, one of them was, for instance, uh, probably the most memorable one was um, escaping from an a nuclear bunker. Mm-hmm. Mm. So people had been put in this bunker um, to be let out when the nuclear winter was over. Mm-hmm. Um, something had gone wrong. You'd been woken up early from your sleep and there were sirens going off. So everything is flashing in red periodically. Um, otherwise, there's no lighting. So it's only like the red flashing lights that you can see That's by. That's very evocative, yeah. So you can see... Um, so you wake up in a little room. You've mm. got to get out of the room. The locks aren't working. Um, um, so you look around. You've got this like a, a map chart of the whole facility, which turns out to be only slightly useful. Um, you've got um, some magnets you've got to try and find to piece together uh, a map or a, or a key to get out. Yeah. Uh, I've got to save all these things. So it's all the visual cues. And when you when you when we exited out of there, it's um, you see remnants of what was there before. So you've got like you know uh, some people have left like a lab coat or some gloves or something just strewn around that you can use. Um, you can look through like an empty cupboard with, you know, just one thing in there. It's all just, you know, abandoned and empty, even though it's, you know, it's supposed to be kitted out for however long. Mm. So it's all those like little visual cues of something yeah. that's been left here, broken here, um, a light that's been smashed somewhere um, yeah. that tell a different story that you're not, uh, that tell a story that you're not clued into. Clued into, yeah. 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 It makes you feel like the world is much bigger than you. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, one of the one of the questions you've been off that is that you know the things you described Luke are very evocative these are things that we can look at and go like okay so we immediately feel you know there's that immersion um and so we understand and we're clued into this story to a to a certain level right as a designer when you're designing these experiences Mm. you want people to feel a specific way right but obviously everybody approaches things differently it's one of those things where you know to use a D&D an example you may have a specific idea for a campaign but as people are people, your D&D characters that you're directing are usually end up to be horrible human beings. Like yeah. these are people you... Player characters are the worst people in your world. Yeah. Almost always. Um, but, you know, designing an experience is interesting because you don't know how people are, are going to interact with it. So what the, what's that like? Yeah, well, I mean, this is... And I think it's probably fair to say I, I try and focus on the experience yeah. more than, than a specific... And when I say when I want people to feel a certain way, it's not so much that I want them to feel a particular emotion, yeah. but I want them to feel like they are in a certain kind of experience. Sure. Um, it's probably best to use an example. Mm. So one of the really early games that I made with Pop-Up Playground mm-hmm. um, was called The Curse. And the experience that I really wanted to go for, I mean, it sort of started from a bit of a brief that we were going to do this thing and we were going to do it at the Village Festival in Edinburgh Gardens. Yeah. Um, and so we, we were going to try and tie it into the carnival atmosphere and we wanted to do something maybe a bit spooky. Uh, and so... I had this idea what I really wanted from the game was to make people feel like they were in a Miyazaki film or a Neil Gaiman story Got where it, they yeah. were normal people in the normal world who had somehow stumbled into this other magical world mm, that sure. they didn't quite understand and they had to try and figure it out, right? Because that's that's what those stories are about. Mm-hmm. You know, they're about learning how this other world works and through that, learning something about yourself. Mm, yeah. And obviously, I can't make people learn something about themselves. But what I could do was design a game where the way you played the game meant that the things that you had to do in the game were figuring out how it worked. So the game ended up being, uh, you you talk to an automated like sort of fortune telling machine, kind of like the one in Big, mm. but it curses you. And the only way to lift the curse is to find the specific combination of three physical actions that you have to undertake. But 
you can get hints as to what they might be from these fortune tellers who will help you, like real live yeah, yeah. fortune tellers. But the only way you can know that they're right is if you test them on the agents of the curse who at the carnival are disguised as clowns. So they chase you around. <laughs> And uh, oh goodness! When they come up to you, yeah, people who don't like clowns, yeah, play this game. definitely. Uh, I'll just back out of this. But when yeah. the clowns come up to you, uh, if you, you do one of the actions, if it's correct, they will back off and leave you alone, and that's the only way you can tell. But if they come up to you and you don't do that, or you do the wrong one, mm. they put a peg on you, and yeah. that that indicates that your curse is getting stronger. Got it. So, so the nature Urgency of the game was you had to yeah. ask questions of fortune tellers try and figure out what was going on and, and then from try clowns. and do these things and <laughs> see how the clowns reacted. So yeah. the rules of the game were designed to make you have that experience where I'm in this magical realm and I don't know what's going on and I have to figure it out. And you had a half an hour to try and figure out what things you had to do to lift your curse. Did you have a warning sign outside of that activity saying, if you don't like clowns, back out now? We, we had some people out of character telling them. Okay. I, I was in character wearing a top hat. I was sort of like the, the spruker for the uh, fortune-telling machine. Yeah, yeah. You're but the snake oil salesman. Well, also, I had to explain the rules. And when um, there's a great... Actually, Lawrence uh, Lung, a friend of mine, came and played the game and he made a great video of it um, mm. where there's all these clips of the clowns running around and people like getting freaked <sighs> out um, with my rules explanation over the yeah. top, which is all in character. Yep. So, and, the, and there's a certain level of immersion there because you really were in a carnival. There really were clowns chasing you yeah. around. Okay. You really were talking to fortune tellers. Of course, there was no real curse, yeah. but it was easy for people to forget that. Yeah, and so they had the experience that I was looking for, and and I couldn't control how what emotion sure. they felt. Some of them were freaked out. Some of them got the giggles. Some yeah. of them thought it was great. All of them felt like time pressure and something could go wrong. Yeah. Am I going to die? No, not really, but it's tense. Um, and so that, that game was a real success in terms of evoking the experience that I wanted sure. to do. So there were like key moments, you know, you wanted, you wanted the urgency of like you're being chased. Yeah. The reaction to the urgency you couldn't control, obviously. That's right. Yeah. But what you could do was give them the specific, you know. I did have someone who played and they brought a friend of theirs who, mm. um, who, insisted that the fortune teller guy say that the curse was broken seven times because he was super, super, super superstitious and just could not. Like, Whoa. He's like, you better lift this. You're going to lift this curse or I'm going to smash this thing. That'll lift the curse. Yeah. And we're like, whoa, 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 settle down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's almost, you know, it's like those role-playing games that have the little disclaimer that yes. say, this is not real. Like all the yeah, White yeah. Wolf ones, like Hunter the Reckoning, which was yeah. about people who start hearing a voice telling them that there are supernatural oh, yeah, creatures. And it's like, well, that's fine in the role-playing game. But please understand, this is not real life. <laughs> yeah. If you do hear, vo- please see, this get, is seek not, some help. Yeah, like, yeah. this is... Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, there's that aspect. Yeah. But, yeah, that was that was a successful experience. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think that, that brings us to the end of our podcast. But thank you so much, Ben, for coming on and chatting to uh, us about this. We, we have a p- particular enjoyment when we talk about interactive storytelling here. So we try and get as many people on um as we can manage to, to chat about this and fulfill our inner uh, joy hearing about this stuff it's just a sneaky it's a lit- it's a literature podcast also this yeah, but well, um i th- i think yeah i think it's super important to talk about this because i feel um that it is incredibly important to writing because a lot of speculative writers and a lot of writers in general are now coming around to the idea that this is absolutely something they should be um yeah. looking at and and paying attention to well, I think I think one of the the great things that any writer will get out of it, just to sort of sum that sure. up, is that when you try to design an experience, you really have to break down mm-hmm. the genre or the kind of story that you're telling yeah. down to its like basic components mm-hmm. and ask yourself, 
what does this story actually do? What do people do in this story? What do people sure. do when they have this experience? And I think that's a valuable exercise, no matter what kind of thing you're writing. Fantastic. Well, Ben, to round it off, tell people where they can find you in social media and what have you got coming up? Uh, we find me on Twitter. I love Twitter. We talked about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Twitter handle is Mackenzie underscore Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also you can find uh, my new podcast, Pratt Chat, I do with Elizabeth Flux. That's coming out on the 8th of every month. The first episode um, it's come out in November. Um, you can find us at prattchatpodcast.com or at prattchatpodcast on Twitter. Fantastic. Luke, where can people find you and what have you got coming up? You can find me at the Soul Shard on Twitter or at thesoulshard.com. And I've got another book coming up, mm-hmm. but um, still working on the details as to how uh, soon exactly it'll be released. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, I'll see if I've got any other content coming up. Fantastic. I feel like, I, feel like I, should, I should sneak a, a plug in here, though, for you, because if you mm. enjoyed that escape room that you subscribed oh, before, you okay. should definitely go to Deep Space in Brunswick. This is an immersive experience. There's a lot of escape rooms in Melbourne, but that one is not like the other ones. It's a bit like the one that we made that's no longer open. Okay. Um, I won't say too much about it. You should go in not knowing too much. But so it's called Deep Space? Deep Space in Brunswick. Don't sure. do it. It's really great. Just down the street. There you go. It's on Moreland Road. Fantastic. All right. Well, you can find The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au. Um, you can listen to that episode with John Harper. It is a fantastic interview. It was very early in the morning for me, so I'm, you know, sort of very <laughs> bleary, but, you know, he the conversation was stimulating, and it certainly got me woken up. Um, so listen to that episode, and it should be out when listen this is to it out. And then tweet at the pen of Joel to uh, say how much you thought he was asleep. Yes, yes. Rate me from a one to how many characters on Twitter I was, uh, I was asleep. How's that? You've got a lot to work with. Um, That's correct. You can find me at the Pen of Joel on Twitter where I don't do anything and you can find my website, thepenofjoel.com, which is pretty much inactive. But if you want to know what I'm doing, it is just this podcast. That's it. Um, Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you in two weeks.